Welcome to the Superpowers for Good show. I'm your host, Devin Thorpe. Today's guest, Daniela Foster, is the Global Vice President and Head of Public Affairs, Science, and Sustainability for Bayer's Consumer Health Division. She'll share critical information about sustainability. She'll also share insights about her superpower, resilience. Daniela, thank you so much for joining me again. It's been such a long time since we had a chance to connect. And oh my gosh, you've been all around the world doing amazing things, working for uh, some of the world's biggest companies since you left the State Department. Uh, I'm excited to learn more about uh, your work in sustainability at Bayer. So uh, give us a quick overview of your role. Yeah. Well, first of all, it's good to see you, Devin. And uh, it's great to reconnect after so many years. So a quick overview. I lead our public affairs, science and sustainability for Bayer. I focus primarily on our consumer health um, division. And I think one of the exciting things and part of why I took this role is we have an ambition to expand access to everyday health for 100 million people, particularly with a focus on underserved communities. And we set this ambition pre-pandemic. So now in the midst of a pandemic, it's become, I think, more relevant than ever. So I'm really passionate about that. We um, also have an ambition, of course, to be sustainable all around. So that includes being uh, climate neutral by 2030, um, going net zero by 2050. And also we recently announced last month a $100 million investment in sustainable solutions. So more sustainable and accessible products across the board. So that's kind of a, a quick snapshot of what I've been up to since we've uh, talked last. Yeah, uh, it, it, it's a, exciting work that you're doing there. It, it seems like, uh, if I understand correctly, you've tried to align some of this effort with the SDGs. Tell us a little bit about how you've tried to do that. Yeah, so it's all aligned with the with the SDGs, Devin. And if I think about the beginning of our journey, so I joined the business in 2019, and I joined the business at what I call one of these sort of pivotal pivot uh, pivotal crucible moments where the business had made a clear decision that they wanted to be impact generators going into the future, um, that they wanted to be a true part of stakeholder capitalism and set out these ambitious goals. So if you look at what we're doing on the climate side, which I just talked about going climate neutral, um, then on top of that, we have 300 million challenges all aligned with the UN Sustainable Development Goals. So it's everything from expanding access to uh, modern day family planning and contraceptives for 100 million women in low and middle income countries, on through to improving the livelihoods of smallholder farmers, 100 million smallholder farmers in low and middle income countries. And then that last goal, which I talked about at the beginning, which is expanding access to everyday health for 100 million people in underserved communities. So when you look at the, the environmental side of what we're doing and then the inclusive growth side of what we're doing, all of that is about being an impact generator and contributing to the UN Sustainable Development Goals. Well, clearly, uh, at the scale you're operating, approaching 50 billion US dollars, I think, uh, or exceeding maybe now, uh, you have the opportunity to impact a lot of lives. And uh, it's commendable that you're seeking to do that. 
uh, why don't you give us, uh, you know, on the programs that you lead, uh, give us a drill down a little bit on some of the specifics and examples of how this will work, especially perhaps on the, the vitamin side, where I know you've got some uh, involvement. Yeah, so I'll give you one example that I'm particularly excited about. So we kicked this off last year, and that's called the Nutrient Gap Initiative. And, and the goal there is to expand access to vital um, vitamins and minerals for 50 million people in underserved communities by 2030. And there's a few reasons that this is critical. So one, you know, our first area of focus has been um, women and children, particularly in the prenatal space. We know um, that this is a space where vulnerable populations, particularly women and children, are disproportionately impacted. We also know that if you set um, a child up with the best start in life, with the, the appropriate prenatals and the nutrients they need, it's one of the key tools to helping to break the cycle of poverty. So within this program of the Nutrient Gap Initiative, we do three key things, and it's really 360, which is why I'm, I'm so passionate about. It reminds me a lot of the work I did at the State Department, um, but it's, it's 360. So on one hand, it's about intervention. So what are those direct interventions that are needed to expand and, and provide access in underserved communities? And there we work with networks of community health providers. We work with local NGOs. We also work with vitamin angels. Um, and through that work, it's a 180-day micronutrient supplementation program that is is provided. Also overlaid with that is health education and literacy. So you have the right adherence to the program, um, but all with the long-term goal of embedding this into the maternal care of the actual health system. So it's sustainable over time. So there's that intervention piece, which is critical. Then you have education. I'm also really passionate about health education and literacy. You oftentimes don't necessarily hear that when you hear um, conversations about health, but it is, it's critical. So knowing why and how to, you know, to, to improve your personal health and kind of what that continuum looks like and what those tools and resources are, meeting people where they are. So it's easy to understand, it's critical. So we do a lot of that with partners. And then the third area is advocacy. And that's working broadly with governments, with NGOs, you know, really driving collective action to improve maternal health and antenatal care guidelines. And so we saw a fantastic example of that last year when the World Health Organization added multiple micronutrient supplements to their list of essential medicines. So again, I think in this space, um, there's a lot of progress that's happening. You need partnership, you need collective action. A lot of these big challenges we see can't really be tackled by one organization, but by everyone working together. So that's one I'm particularly excited about. Yeah, I mean, it's, it is critically, critically important. And, and like you say, it's, it takes collective action. No one can solve it alone, not even Bayer. Um, let's talk a little bit about uh, the environmental sustainability side of things. Um, you know, the language we use sometimes to describe uh, our goals and objectives uh, is sometimes confounding to a lot of us. And I, I admit I'm not exempt from that. As much time as I spend writing and thinking about uh, climate change and sustainability issues, 
uh, the language can be confusing. When you talk about being climate neutral in 2030 and uh, net zero by 2050, how do those two measures differ? What, 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 what happens in 2050 that's not happening in 2030? Yeah, so, so let me perhaps touch on the 2030 piece first, right? So mm -hmm. when I think about um, climate goals, what's critical is always that they are science-based. And I think one of the beauties on the climate side that we don't always see as much on the social side is that there are clear science-based rubrics for this. So for example, on our 2030 goal, we've set science-based targets. They're approved by the Science-Based Target Initiative, which is, of course, sort of a coalition with the UN, as well as World Resources Institutes, WWF, and a number of others. So they're pretty set patterns pathways for what it takes to reduce your emissions over time. And then, of course, within science-based targets, you have scope one, scope two, scope three. This can be pretty wonky um, to try to break it down as simply as possible. It's, you know, you first start with what can you do within your own operations and how do you reduce those emissions? And that's, that's everything from improving efficiency, energy, HVAC chillers, on through to renewables, renewable energy, what you can do on sites with polar vault, et cetera. And then you um, go into your supply chain, right? And that is, of course, typically the areas where organizations have a little bit less control, but also where over time you want to see that transition happen collectively together. And so when I look at 2050, the 2050 piece is really including that whole supply chain over time because that takes longer. One of the challenges uh, in the environment side, as much as any, uh, and it may not be as critical for uh, uh, a company like Bayer as it is for a company like General Motors, but it still seems like it would be relevant, right? That if there aren't standards that force everyone to play by the same rules, with the same objectives and therefore the same cost structure, it's hard to get to where you're going because the competition may not be doing the same things. Uh, does that make sense? And if so, can you comment on, on that dilemma of moving towards sustainability? Yeah, so look, I think if I reflect on sort of the ESG space, the sustainability space, what we're seeing in climate, I do think we're at an interesting time where this is exactly the conversations we're having, right? If I, if I just think about to, uh, if I think about the, the COP sessions and all of the conversations happening there, the questions around um, standards, best practices, in some cases, certifications, et cetera. That's what's happening right now. I think we're gonna see that landscape dramatically shift over the next few years. I would also argue that I think we've seen that a bit with science-based targets. So that's why I, I kind of always go back to things being science-based. There's gotta be a focus on materiality. What's the most material issues within a company that you can actually target and make a difference um, on and contribute to the SDGs, et cetera. So I do see the movement towards um, more sophisticated ESG. It's incorporated more in investor conversations um, and in investor requirements 
requirements, which I think is a great thing. And another extension and offshoot of that is um, the bar is continually getting set higher and increasingly, especially when we talk about climate, these are science-based conversations. And I think that's critical. Yeah, it seems like, uh, and perhaps my perception is wrong, Bayer's based in Germany and uh, Germany has some stricter standards than the United States. And so it seems like a bear in a way, if they try to live up globally to German standards, European standards, that they uh, are disadvantaged. Uh, and so do you see that as a problem or, or are the markets rewarding you sufficiently for sustainability to overcome the disadvantages inherent in differences in standards between the European Union and the United States, for instance? So I would actually see it differently because, you know, I've, I've worked on both sides. And, you know, when I think about this, I, I think it's a competitive advantage. So, you know, when you ask if you were to say, hey, personally, Daniela, where do you think this is all moving? I would say that for companies to be around over the long haul, the next, you know, 40, 50, 100 plus years, they have to be sustainable, period. Good business includes sustainability period. It is um, part of the criteria that you have to get right. And even if I think about ESG, there's been some good research done that shows that companies that perform well on ESG from a stock perspective actually outperform on average, I want to say it's like 20% better than those that don't perform well on ESG. So it is part of the future. It's part of how you run a good business. It's part of good governance. And I would actually, I I would flip it a bit in that I think it's a benefit and an advantage. So if I think about what attracted me to Bayer, it was the level of seriousness um, that we have around this. It, it's taken up at the board of management at the highest levels of our business. We bake it into our incentive plans and structures. We measure it on par with our financial metrics. So in many ways, it's not a separate standalone sustainability project that we do off on the side it's a core part of our business. And that's where I actually think sustainability needs to move. Yeah, uh, that's a great point. Daniela, you have had an extraordinary career. Uh, uh, relatively early in your career, you had an extraordinary opportunity to work at the State Department during the Obama administration. And uh, you know, you, you're a big deal and you've been very successful. What do you think of as your superpower? Yeah, so I was reflecting on this a bit. I think my superpower is actually resilience. Um, and, you know, I, I was thinking about an analogy. I had set out at one uh, point to start to do triathlons, mini triathlons, sprint triathlons. And when I set out on that ambition, I actually didn't know how to swim, at least in the formal way with the, with the bilateral breathing and the formal freestyle, right? But I set out to do it. That was my goal. And when I would go in to do the these triathlons, you have your three legs of the triathlon. On the first leg, everyone swims. Everyone would pass me consistently across the board. Then I'd get to the bike. I was probably a below average biker. Still people would pass me, but a little bit less. Then you'd get into the final round, which was your run. And I'm also probably an average runner, right? But that's where I would really kick into gear. I'd pick up my momentum and I'd sprint towards the finish line. And I even made it on the podium once, which is 
great when you think about the fact that I started without, you know, really even being a swimmer in any way, shape or form. So I would also, when I think about business, I bring that into business. I like to set big long-term goals that are actionable. I am mindful that things will change. There will be setbacks. There will be hits. You take them and you keep going. I'm, I'm also mindful that a lot of the things we're talking about today and a lot of the aspects of sustainability, uh, as well as even you know healthcare things we're looking at. This is about change management. So you have to bring people along with you. You have to be uh, agile. You have to have the agility to know when do you go from plan A to plan B to plan C to plan D. So I like to think about all of those things. And I also think um, resilience has passion in it too, right? Because you you really have to have a clear end goal know where you want to go and be resilient to get there. So I, I think of that as my, my superpower, resilience. Oh, that is fantastic. And what a great example. Uh, as you look at your career uh, in, in recent years, especially where at Hilton and, and at Bayer, you've been working in sustainability. Uh, can you track your superpower of resilience back to uh, some of the successes you've had? Yeah, probably. I think, um, you know, I always say that any anything worth doing isn't easy because if it was easy, everyone would have done it already, right? So I've worked a lot on systems integration. I've worked a lot on building things from the ground up at times um, when maybe they're not conventional, not popular, don't seem like they can be done. Um, and I think that's a bit of a, of a theme. I go back to that change management. You know, if I think about the State Department, it was developing the first office of public-private partnerships at a time when that was not a common practice. Now it's just part of how the government does business. I also think back to our first conversation on equity crowdfunding, right? That was yeah. way before that was really a thing. Um, so, you know, if I look at all these different efforts, even sustainability, I've been in the sustainability and ESG space for over a decade now. Um, and some of the things that a decade ago we were talking about are now coming to fruition. And we're starting to see ESG more incorporated into the investor space. So I think you know one of the, the things I've learned over time is, is perspective. Sometimes you have to wait to hit those big goals, but that doesn't mean you don't still go after them. Uh, and it doesn't mean you don't write out the tough times. Yeah. If, if you were coaching someone now, Daniela, uh, as a resilient superhero to be more resilient, what would you coach? How would you coach someone to develop that strength? Yeah, I think one of the things... Um, that isn't always as obvious, but I think is really important. I think it's important to listen. I think it's important to have empathy. And I think it's important to meet people where they are. You could have the greatest ideas in the world. You could have complete resilience to keep going. Um, but if you can't influence and influence in some cases without authority, you're really not gonna get anywhere. And, and that comes with listening, empathy, and meeting people where they are to really understand what are the challenges and roadblocks and how do you move through those while building trust um, and while making progress to your uh, on your goals. So I, I do think there's a timing component to all of this that also mm -hmm. matters. That's interesting, that's interesting. Uh, well, Daniela, I just, 
can't thank you enough for taking the time to be with us today. Uh, and you demonstrated your resilience uh, perfectly as we moved from uh, recording platform to recording platform to make this conversation possible. Uh, so again, uh, thank you. I appreciate your resilience. Before you go, would you just take a minute yeah. and tell people how they can learn more about Bayer's efforts in this regard and sustainability and their 100 million goals, et cetera, et cetera. I suspect there are some online resources you could point people to and maybe how, maybe take, add to that list ways that people can follow you on social media and things. Yeah, absolutely. So to learn more about Bayer and the work that we're doing on sustainability, you can find more about that on Bayer.com. So that's a simple and easy one to remember. And then to follow me, there's a couple of things you can do. I'm at D, D-E-E in D-C on Twitter. Um, and then you can find me, Daniela Foster, on LinkedIn. Fantastic. Well, Daniela, thank you again for uh, taking the time to be with us today. Congratulations on uh, the progress you're making at Bayer and the great career you're enjoying. We wish you every success. My gosh, we're, we're depending on great organizations like Bayer to really uh, come through successfully on the work that you're doing there. So we, we wish you that success. Thanks, Devin. Always right. great to see you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Uh, let's do some good. Thank you for tuning in to the Superpowers for Good show. Twice each week, we host changemakers who share their impact, insights, and superpowers. Don't miss another episode. Subscribe today at superpowersforgood.com. That's superpowers, number four, good.com. Be super empowered. Get your copy of the book, Superpowers for Good, as an ebook, audiobook, paperback, or hardcover edition via your favorite online retailer. Interested in having me speak to your company, organization, or association? visit devonthorpe.com. Then let's talk. Now keep using your superpowers for good. Together we can reverse climate change, improve global health, and eradicate poverty.